everybody. Thank you, Tim. Well, yeah, Deacon Dakota, that's powerful, man. Uh, you know, we say every week, welcome home. You heard Chaz say it earlier, uh, and we mean that. And, you know, so whether you walked in here with a new diagnosis or you had the best week ever, you know, whether you just got a promotion or you just got laid off, whether you came in here anxious or wh- whatever you brought in, we really mean it when we say welcome home. And not all of us had the same experience in home, but what we mean when we say welcome home is you can be yourself here. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, that you, you know, that you're never going to change. I've got things that I need to grow into and out of. Amen. Okay. And so uh, thank you for not saying amen, baby. I appreciate it. So we all have things that we need to grow in and out of, but what we mean is you can really be yourself and we can really lean into it together. That's some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to hop out of 1 Peter today, actually. You know, we're walking through 1 Peter right now. I'm going to hop out of that and, and deliver a sermon that's kind of been on my heart, and it's just, what is a church? What are we doing here? What is this? Why are we here? What, what's your role? What am I supposed to be doing? What, what, what is a church? I don't know if this happened to y'all growing up, which sometimes makes me nervous saying that, because I grew up in Mississippi, and what I found is when I go, hey, remember when this happened growing up? And everybody's like, no, that's not normal. What happened to you growing up is not, in Mississippi they did that, we don't do that here. But I think this happened here where you would go, this is a church, this is the steeple, open it up, and that's so sweet. Well, it's biblically inaccurate, okay? This, that's wrong. That whole thing is wrong. The church is not a building, okay? Uh, this is why we can worship in a YMCA. Whenever we were thinking about and trying to find a location for our church to meet, we met with, you know, we went to movie theaters and event centers all over the city trying to find where we could meet before God delivered us to the Y, who we love so much. But God isn't tied to a building. The, peop- the church is a people. Biblically speaking, the church is a people. People do not go to church. We are the church, okay? And so commitment to Your church is not commitment to a building or a set of preferences. It's a commitment to each other. We get to commit to each other. And commitment to one local body of believers is a really common exhortation throughout the New Testament. Everywhere you go, you step on it in the New Testament. And so, in fact, a lot of what the New Testament instructs us to be and do is impossible without commitment to one local church. I'll give you a few examples. Christians are to, quote, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. So, we share and bear. So it's the idea that if, if I have a couch that I'm trying to carry, I can't carry it by myself. Well, Brock comes to help me. He gets that in. I get this in, and we carry it together. So emotionally, spiritually, physically, that we share and bear our burdens with each other. The way this has looked kind of recently in our church, there was a young mom in our church. So a few ladies in our church had just kind of gotten together for breakfast. They were hanging out, and the young mom was going, ah, you know, you know, uh, with my new baby, I can't find anywhere to take care of him on Tuesdays. I, you know, I found every other day of the week, this service, that service, this place, that place, but on Tuesdays, I'm just, I can't find any, everything's full. And this other lady at the table goes, I'll do it. And the young mom goes, no, no, I, <laughs> I wasn't trying to ask for anything. That's okay. That's okay. And the other lady goes, no, bring him to my house every Tuesday for eight hours. And I'd love to do it. That's sharing burdens. That's biblical Christ-like love within a church, that we don't just say we love each other, we act like it. We don't just say, oh, God bless you. Be on your way, sis. No, we go, bring that baby to my house, and I'm going to feed him and hang out with him. And guess what? In that scenario, the young mom is super blessed, that whole family is blessed, but the lady who's been keeping the baby has had a blast. Babies are fun. It's a good, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. 
A mentor of mine always says, there's nothing like it when we're that for each other. That's what we, so uh, Christians are to suffer together. I don't know about y'all, but, uh, you know, that takes a lot of deep commitment. For me to admit to you my suffering, for me to share with you what I'm going through, uh, Christians are to confess sins to each other. Again, I don't know about y'all, it's hard for me to do that in the first place, and it's impossible, impossible for me to do that to somebody who comes just once a month. I don't even know them. Deep commitment we owe each other. Kind, forgiving to one another. On belonging to a church, church father Cyprian famously wrote, he can no longer have the church for his father. Sorry, let me restart that again. He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Likening, so he's likening uh, a Christian without a church family to a spiritual orphan, right? And so without being committed to a local church family, so much of the Christian life is just missed. Our spiritual growth is stunted. This is a together faith. I think that the New Testament writers would be so surprised at all of our talk of a personal relationship with God. They didn't really write about it like that. Now, it absolutely is true. If you're a Christian, you have a personal relationship with God. You can study the Bible on your own. And God, that's all good. Yes, of course. But the New Testament writers, they wrote about our faith, not just my faith. They wrote about it in terms of together faith. Consider Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Yes, that is shade. Some of y'all missing, that's what he's saying, okay. But encouraging each other. Consider how to encourage each other and all the more. Encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. In a very real sense, I'm not just responsible for myself, I'm responsible for you. Not just as a pastor, but you're responsible for all of us, okay? I am to consider, to think about, to pray about how I can help you become more like Christ. And you're to think about, pray about, consider how you can help others in this church and in your city group and on your serve teams become more like Jesus, right? Not so that we can be like the Pharisees and go, hey, you're in sin, and here's how you can be more loving, okay? No, but so that we can go, hey, I saw how you talked to him. Here's how I would have done it. Here's how, you, here's how we can do that differently. We can love and encourage and the author of Hebrews here, you can notice, does not identify who had gotten into the habit of not assembling together and not coming to church most every Sunday, but, he, but it's unacceptable, whatever the reason is, because, not because he's trying to make everybody feel bad, but because we are an embodied body of believers. This meeting is necessary, right? And so uh, I love all the online stuff. We post our sermons online, all that kind of thing. But you can't just watch the sermon on YouTube on Tuesdays and get what this is, right? It's, it's the coffee on the way in and, and talking to each other before and after and having the chance to create relationships to go to a breakfast on a Saturday and, and be together in our lives. And so it's critically important for both your and our spiritual growth and nourishment that we're together. So deep commitment to each other is biblical. And as many of you know, our process to become a church member, we say per church partner here, is a little more involved than most churches, and that's on purpose, okay? And so, uh, and actually, uh, I'm going to do my very best to not take the rest of our time explaining church membership to you, because I love it. I love talking about church membership, don't you? Isn't it so exciting to talk about church membership all day? So, but there's actually more church history with a very involved or arduous process for membership than an easy path to membership. 
during the patristic period, Google it later, okay, during the patristic period, church membership was super demanding. And you had to have, so an incoming church member had to have an already church member speak on their behalf and answer questions for them and, and basically vouch and say, I'm with this person, I can vouch that they're gonna be super committed. Incoming church members during that period, they had to go through like prolonged fasts. There would be a lot of sleep deprivation and hours of prayer to show that you're really committed to your new church. Now I'm open to all those ideas. And the already members are like, sure, go for it, but we're not going to do that. I'm kidding. Hilarious, just a hilarious joke. But Redemption City has partners and not members. And we use that language on purpose because members have privileges and partners have ownership, right? Partners own the responsibility of carrying the mission forward. This is not my church. This is our church. You own the ministry of the church and you're proactive in helping the ministry move forward. And again, this language comes from Paul's statement in Philippians chapter one. I thank my God every time I think about, every time I pray for you and every prayer of mine for all of you, this is how I think about y'all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is Paul writing and it's not Paul going, sit down, be quiet, and let me kind of show you a few things. He's going, we're partnering together. We're in this together. And it's not about delegation, just getting things off of the staff's plate, but it's so that we can own the ministry. You can own the ministry together. You can own disciple making in our church. Somebody in our city group, they're, they're new to our church. They just started coming to our city group a couple of weeks ago. And they, we were talking about different church things. And he said, I feel like everybody in Redemption City is serving somewhere. And it's kind of a lot of good peer pressure. We we're like, yes, got him, all right? Because we want everyone to know there's so many ways that you can be involved and serve and do and be part of a team and part of the big team. And so our mission statement is to make disciples who make disciples in Fort Worth and around the world for the glory of God. That's what we're about. That's your mission. Jesus is inviting you into the greatest story ever told. And it's not that you just get a front row seat, right? Oh, you get a great seat for the action. No, so I've had the opportunity to sit courtside in a Mavs game once in my life, and it's as amazing as I thought it would be, okay? And they're huge, by the way. <laughs> to be that close to NBA players, they're absolutely massive. And so it's just, you get to see all the action firsthand, but it's not like you're just sitting courtside for, the, for church. You're on the court. You're not just having the, oh man, best seat in the house. Let's see what Pastor Matt does today. No, you're on the court too. It's our church as we go together. Jesus has given us the mission. That's why we planted a church to begin with to make new disciples in Fort Worth and then to raise up missionaries in Fort Worth, America, and around the world. That's why we planted to begin with. And we didn't just plant for people who would vote like me and look like me and act like me. Praise God, we all said, right? We planted a church for Fort Worth. And we're naive enough to believe that anybody and everybody's gonna come with us, right? They're gonna join Jesus in his mission. Our mission is to multiply disciples of Jesus. And one of the primary ways that you can ensure that that happens is by pursuing unity together. Look at Romans 14, 19. So then, let us say the word, pursue. Okay. When a preacher says, I need y'all to, okay, are y'all gonna do it this time? Here we go. So then let us say it, pursue, come on, what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I encourage you to memorize that verse. Unity isn't passive, you see? Um, we don't just hope that peace happens in our church. We pursue unity because the thing is, the thing is, we all get a little fleshy sometimes. 
That sin tendency kind of comes back into our lives. Okay, maybe that's just me, but achieving unity with people who are very different than you requires pursuit. We've got to stay focused on it. Plainly and somewhat obviously, plainly and somewhat obviously, that the larger the ch- a church gets, the less uh, they have in common, right? The, the, the more people that are coming to the church, the more differences they have within the church. And we're growing, praise God. That's a great thing, okay? But so we have to decide and work on and pursue unity. One of our missional directives is we unite around the gospel. We don't unite around just kind of flimsy things like common interests. That's too flimsy. So let's say that me and Leisha are really into skateboarding, okay? That's not enough to achieve unity, right? If, if you and I both love Drake's new album, or if you and I both totally agree on the, what size the government should be, that's not enough. That, that's a similarity. That's not unity, okay? Unity happens across divides, across age differences and, and racial ethnic differences and different preferences, across different languages. My goodness, an Eagles fan joined the church recently. We can get, it, we can get across any natural divide that's in front of us. Maybe. It is tough. But unity isn't the result of sameness. Okay? Uh, We're not unified if we all like the same music or we all like the same stuff. That doesn't bring unity. We're unified because we're on the same mission. Unity is the result of Jesus bringing us together and we unite around the gospel. Right? So what does that mean for you? Practically, right? What does it look like to build unity in your church? It means that you're eager Notice the word that's going to come on the screen, Ephesians 4.3. You're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That means that if you and somebody in our church are at odds, that you're eager to go reconcile with that person. You take initiative. You take action. That means that if you and I or you and somebody in our church don't see eye to eye on something, that instead of talking about that person, you go to that person and have a conversation directly, right? Please turn to Philippians 2. I should have already told you to do that. We're going to park there the rest of our time. I hope that you were in Bible drill growing up because here I go. Philippians 2, uh, 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, listen, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Two words ring out to me when I read Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Stick together. Stick together. In a culture and context uh, that treats churches like country clubs or shopping malls, where you can kind of pick what you want and leave when you please, okay, the Bible teaches us to stick together. Uh, now, there are legitimate times and reasons to move churches. So I, I'm not, I never want to put undue condemnation on you. That's not my point at all. I don't want to convey unnecessary judgment, okay? But in the Bible, it's really, really clear that churches stick together, that churches commit to each other. I plan to be at Redemption City the rest of my life, okay? So sticking together requires that we be selfless, okay? Contrary to popular belief, church is not about me or you. Contrary to popular belief, worship services are about God, not about what I really want to experience, and, but it's about God. And we pray for unity. We do pray for it. We're going to pray for it at the end too. But more than anything, it's an action. Unity is something you pursue. 
And this isn't a new thing. There are lots of examples of disunity in the Bible. And if you read First and Second Corinthians, Paul's letter uh, to the church in Corinth, churches in Corinth, over and over again, he's basically just saying over and over again, quit fighting with each other. Quit quarreling with each other. Quit suing each other. He has to tell all these Christians to quit suing each other in court, okay? He's saying all these fights are festering. Forgive each other over and over. So this, this opportunity for us to have some sort of fracture or disunity is not new. This happens in churches, okay? It's not happening here, thank God, but this does happen. So for some reason, okay, it's easy for churches to take their eye off of the ball, right? My, my son Cole is playing baseball right now. And so in batting, that's the main thing, okay? Yeah, you need your elbow up. You need your, you need your feet in the right position. But the main thing is eye on the ball. If everything else goes wrong, you can still make contact with the ball if your eye's on the ball. But if you get that one thing wrong, then you're going to miss the ball every single time. We got to keep our eye on the ball. What's the ball? Paul said, be of the same mind. Have the same love. Have one mind. Our souls are knit together. You ever been to a Rangers game? From what I, I think they have a game today, from what I understand. Okay. Um, Alvaro may be the biggest Astros fan there is. Boo. No, okay. We're, we're unified. Sorry, we're unified. Okay. Um, okay, let me get back on track. Okay, at a Rangers game. Okay, everybody there is unified in mission. Okay, we got Astros fans leaving now. Is that what just, okay. Everybody at a Rangers game is unified on mission. Everybody there is in one accord, go Rangers, right? At a Rangers game, you don't feel racial tension. You don't know who's a Democrat, who's a Republican, because everybody's on the same page, same mission, one accord. Go Rangers, let's get this win today, okay? So our mission is to make disciples who make disciples in Fort Worth and around the world. That's the one mind that we have. That's the same love that we have. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about helping others in our church and in our community know and love Jesus. You know, um, there's so many things in Christianity that, that we could put our attention on. There's so many things that we could lose our focus and go this way or that way. Uh, but, you know, exactly zero of my neighbors, and on my street, uh, they're all disconnected from Christ. Exactly zero of my neighbors know anything about the controversial conference that Andy Stanley had at his church this week. None of them know who T.D. Jakes or Matt Chandler or John Calvin are. They don't know anything about Jesus, and that's where I'm going to start. And that's where we're going to stay focused, sharing Jesus with our neighbors and each other and our friends until he comes back. And so recently there was a survey that came out that asked, how do people start attending church? And it's fascinating, not really surprising, 86% of people who start coming to church is on the, it's on the hand of a friend, invitation of a friend. Now, so organized visitation, something like the YMCA trunk or treat we're about to do, or invited by the pastor. I'm still going to give the blue cards to everybody I meet. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on that and advertise it. We're going to do those things, but most, almost all the time, people that go from unchurched or dechurched to coming to church, it's on the hand of a friend. It's up to, that's why it's our mission. It can't just be up to me, okay? So I told you last week the story of, of dechurched people in our country, right? How 40 million American adults have become de-churched in the past 25 years. That was, they were going to church regularly, and now they go to church once a year or less. They're de-churched. The thing is, of 75% of those 40 million Americans are, quote, casually de-churched. 
So if they were invited, they would probably say yes. If they were invited lovingly and, and people, you know, as we do, we serve them, we love them and invite them, they just might say yes because they were de-churched for circumstances. They had a baby, lost the practice, and haven't been to church in years. They started, a pandemic happened, they started watching online, and then they just kind of lost the practice. You know, the number one reason that people in our country are de-churched is I moved. And guess what is the most moved to place in the world? You're sitting in it, okay? Right here, right now. God is bringing the nations to us. He's bringing California and everybody else to our doorstep, and they're open to Jesus. They're open to coming back to church and with a simple invitation. By being on mission together, who knows what the Lord could do through us. We cannot let anything take our eye off of that ball. The stakes are too high. Look at uh, verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Very direct language from Paul here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in all humility, count others more significant than yourselves. There is not a more countercultural message than that right there today. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, we do that naturally, but also to the interests of others. If we are going to stick together, we got to have the right yeses and the right noes. No to selfish ambition. No to vain conceit, yes to the importance of others. Yes to the interests of others. The gospel challenges any area of life that says me first. The key to our unity is humility. And we get this from Jesus himself, our humble king, the king of kings. The Lord of lords humbled himself to take on the form of a servant, Philippians says. The secular script is the story of individuals ascending in their own way, right? Pursuing their own ambitions, seeking personal fulfillment by whatever means necessary. But the exaltation of Jesus highlights the ultimate, and the ultimate authority and power of God. That it demonstrates the true, that true exaltation comes through surrendering to God's will rather than pursuing self-centered ambitions, Totally different way to think about it. Philippians 2 teaches that Jesus humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and went low, even to the point of death on a cross. So Jesus' ascendancy wasn't through self-promotion. It wasn't through self-exaltation. It was through self-sacrifice. And this is his way for us. This is the life that he's offering you, self-sacrifice. We need Jesus. We need to learn dependence over and over again. Chuck Swindoll, he says this really scary thing about ministry. He says you can learn to do it. That we can learn to to do church and even grow a church and leave Jesus behind. But we're not willing to do that at Redemption City. We need Jesus. We want Jesus increasingly and evermore. So I say let's pray about it. Let's pray even now. So we're going to have some prayer prompts on the screen for you. What I I hope that you do, what I want you to do is find a prayer partner right now and you guys pray for each other in these five ways that we commit to each other, that we consider, we spend time thinking about praying about how to stir each other up toward love and good works, that we pursue unity, that we're eager to maintain unity, and that we do all this so that we can multiply disciples in Fort Worth and around the world. Let me pray for us now as we begin. God, I pray that you would move in our church. Which means, God, that you would move in us, move in me, move in my friends here today. Help us. 
maintain and pursue unity for the sake of the mission. In Jesus' name, amen.